Hey, Barry. Hey, Al. What happened when the cleric forgot to prepare light? I don't know. What happened? Well, let's just say it was a dark time. It's time for Compelled Duel. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Compelled Duel. I'm Al. And I'm Barry. And we are a single-player co-DM'd D&D 5e actual play podcast. Previously on Compelled Duel. You walk into an absolutely gorgeous museum. There are lots of people dancing, talking, mingling, Truth dies in darkness, and you never write, Sabine. This is my brother, Florian Javaris. Senator Maximus Grey River. Nice to meet you. Maximus Grey River is the name of the general that wrote the account of the Battle of Omagroth that made you realize that your father killed his brother. And if I were to tell you that your writings have led me to believe that my father is calling the shots in Australia under false pretenses, what would you say then? Then I'd say it's a pleasure to meet the rightful Archduke of Australia. This is Senator Tomas Highvale. He is the chairman of the Urban Planning Committee and, in my opinion, the most reliable person in the Senate. Are you willing to help us bring a halt to all this madness? I would question the ethics of anyone that said no to that question, your highness. The Australian Navy's launched a full-scale attack, cannons and everything. We need to get out of here. There is a lurch under your feet as the great stone wheel that the city of Aldur sits upon grinds to a halt. They're trying to kill the whole city. Fee, at your side, reaches down and squeezes your hand and says, We need to do something. We need to do something fast. Fee, we find you dead sprinting through the streets of Vulder. You have the skirt of your nice formal dress bunched up in one hand. Your heart is pounding in your ears in time with the click of your heels on the pavement. Beside you, your brother is keeping pace. He also has the slinky skirts of his robes balled up in one hand. And the entire group of people that was with you at the museum, so Zed, Eleonora, Kalesa, are all hot on your heels as the group of you sprint for your Aunt Nora's house. As you are running down this street on either side of you, you see the lights in the windows start to flicker on and off and then sink into darkness as the city's power supply is cut off from this great wheel that it sits upon, stopping. 
which, thanks to Leo's recent scrying spell, you now know is an act perpetrated by your father for the purposes of, um, doing a real big war crime. <laughs> what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are you doing? I'm thinking we gotta turn the wheel back on. We have to... Or at least I have to lay low so I don't get kidnapped by Alasha. And we have to stop every single person in this city from running out onto the beach and getting shot to death. Easy peasy missions there. Leo, running at your side, seems to be coming to the same conclusions as you have. He's been acting weird all night. The shit back at the museum where he was seeing something that apparently none of the rest of you could see, notwithstanding, he is just looking around your party in weird, innocuous directions, like he's trying to see something. But every so often he looks over at you, nods as if to affirm this unspoken plan you have between the two of you, and keeps running. The rest of your party dipped while you were in the Hall of Mirrors. They evacuated the museum along with everybody else. And as soon as you figured that out, you just started moving for Nora's house as quickly as you could. The five of you sprint up the street to the gate of this grand row house and hear spectral echoing barks as Leo's bone wolf, Dexter, comes sprinting up from the backyard and pawing at the gate. Leo gets sidetracked trying to calm Dexter down as he pops open the front gate. What are you doing? Uh, Fee's running inside. In the foyer of your aunt's house, you see your entire party gathered, looking varying degrees of confused, worried, and frightened. Your Aunt Nora, your Uncle Boreas, Sabine, the Captain, and Arave are all still in their formal wear from the gala, huddled up in one corner, discussing something amongst themselves. Everybody else is standing around in their pajamas, bleary-eyed and utterly confused. Your Uncle Aaron, hurriedly tying his bathrobe, is charging across the foyer to go pull Nora aside and figure out what's going on. And in the midst of all this overlapping chatter and chaos, you feel a tug at your sleeve. Lorelai Shakrana, in a nightgown with absolutely atrocious bedhead and a fully blank, expressionless stare, looks up at you and goes, It's happening again, isn't it? We're gonna have to run. Fee takes a deep breath sets her jaw very firmly, and says, No, we're not. We're gonna stop it. But we need to be ready to defend ourselves, so uh, you should go get your wand. Lorelai looks at you for a long moment, but then clenches her jaw, nods, and spins on her heel and goes charging out of the foyer up the stairs. As soon as she goes, your Aunt Nora comes bustling over to you and pulls you into a big, tight hug. Let's go of you, moves a few feet over to Leo and pulls him into a big hug as well. 
Oh, thank Kimrel, you two are okay. I was so worried. Uh, we're fine for now. And if I think Lorelai is out of earshot, I'm going to turn to everybody and say, So they're trying to sink the city into the volcano. The room goes dead silent. Everybody is staring at you slack-jawed. You see your cousin Adra in her pajamas pause in the middle of swiveling her chair around to look at you, and her eyes go huge behind her glasses. Yeah, the plan is to drive everybody out onto the beach and take out as many people as they can from the ships. Your cousin Lark who is in a gauzy black nightgown, still has their face mask on for the evening and is wearing a pair of fuzzy slippers, tilts their head to the side and goes, That doesn't sound right. They couldn't take out the Emperor or anybody like that specifically that way. They'd just be shooting civilians. Lark, I think that's the idea. Oh my god. Leo turns around from where he has been trying to stop Dexter from pawing and barking at people in confusion to look over at you and Lark, and he goes, Yeah, so clearly we've got to stop it. Adra, you're mechanically minded. What happens when the wheel that the city is built on stops turning? Adra's eyebrows knit together and she frowns, like she's mulling it over for a second. Well, the turning of the wheel powers everything in the city, so within minutes of it stopping, the power's gonna go out, and then directly over your heads, all the lights in the house cut off, and you are plunged into darkness. You have dark vision, so you can still see, but you hear Zed let out a worried yell from across the room. And then Adra brings up a hand and casts a dancing light spell. These pink and blue and green orbs of light start hovering around the room, and she nods grimly. Yeah, like that. Fee, in the dark, says, Thank you, Adra. You're welcome. Anyway, the main mechanism that the city sits on top of serves a lot of purposes. Um, essentially, the volcano that Valdur is in has been erupting constantly for the past couple thousand years. So, when the city was built, they made the mechanism to redirect the lava flow into the ocean. It had a twofold purpose, allowing the city to exist and also making the island bigger as the lava went out into the water and hardened. And Lark interrupts her. Blah blah, science! Adra flips them off and keeps talking. So, if the wheel stops, the lava redirection stops. The volcano erupts, and the city descends into a lake of fire, essentially. Great, cool. Uh, so if anybody leaves the city, they get shot to death, and if anybody stays in the city, they get melted. I love that for us. How do we turn it back on, Adra? Adra's frown deepens a little bit more, and she starts pulling her hair up into a bun on top of her head. Uh, well... Within the design of the infrastructure, there has to be a manual override just in case of emergencies. I would conjecture that that's what whoever turned it off did. They they went down into the mechanism and they tripped the manual override. So 
the way to turn it back on would be to go down there and reverse that. Leo's head snaps over in her direction. Down there? Like, down there in the volcano? Again, thousands of people's lives on the line. Adra finishes pulling her hair up and looks at the two of you. Well, I mean, there are service access tunnels all over the city. People have to be able to get down to work on the mechanism and do maintenance. So we could get in there, go down, try to stop all of this? I don't know. Fee gives her kind of a dubious look. Uh, we? Not to be rude, Adra, but I've seen you on the crutches. They don't seem like a long-term solution. And... I'd wager that the mechanism is not, and Fee gestures at the chair, wheel-friendly. Oh, no, almost certainly not, which is why being an artificer has a lot of great perks, because you get to design your own mobility aids to do things like this. She presses one of the many buttons that are rigged up to the arms of her chair, and some wild shit happens. You hear a rattling from beneath it as this big metallic box that is situated under the seat drops open, and Adra is enveloped in these multiple pieces of metal that just arc out from it and wrap around her arms and her legs and her torso, and close around her head in a gleaming metallic helmet. She gets up from the chair, and you notice that her feet are hovering like an inch off the ground, as if controlled by a modified fly spell. You can't see her facial expression behind this helmet, but she tilts her head to the side and you can tell that she is smirking. Unless anyone else here is intimately familiar with the ins and outs of Alduran engineering, you're gonna need me. I'll pay for this tomorrow, but... I can take care of myself. You, on the other hand, should go put some armor on. Fee is staring, slack-jawed, at the armor. Uh, yes, I will do that. How long can you- never mind, I'll ask later. Standing next to you, Leo, also looking dumbstruck, goes, Okay, Adra ex machina, who'd have thunk it? I am also going to go put my armor on. I'm just going to go do that. He moves towards the stairs, and Adra, still hovering in this armor, turns around to her sibling and goes, Lark, you're coming too. You might want to ditch the nightgown. You see Sabine, the captain, Zed, and Eleonora all make moves towards you and Leo as if they are going with you. But then Nora raises a hand from the doorway to the sitting room. Uh Uh-uh. All the rest of you, we have to figure out a way to keep the people in this city safe. We need all the help we can get. Come on, come on. The captain and Sabine both look uncomfortable. And you see Zed give Leo a really weird look. But the rest of your party does leave the room at Nora's request. And you, your brother, and your cousin Lark all go rocketing upstairs to get ready for this mission. 
So, Fee, what would you like to do to get ready for this adventure? I'm gonna change out of my dress into something more practical, put my breastplate on, get my shield. I'm gonna leave my hair up, because why wouldn't I do that? I think you're standing in front of the vanity trying to get your breastplate buckled on your own, which is kind of hard. This is one of those sets of armor that you should probably have somebody to help you into. But as you look up into the mirror, behind you, sitting on the bed, there is this very large, like probably eight feet tall standing up figure sitting there wrapped in a shifting, swirling, stormy cloak. This figure's head turns to the side, and in the mirror, you see darkness behind the hood of this cloak, broken by two crackling, electric blue, stormy eyes, and a smile like a lightning bolt. Kiva tilts their head to the side and goes, Hello, Ferrara. Fee goes, Ah! And then she whips around to look at Kiva and says, What? I'm a little busy, if you hadn't noticed. You know, saving a city, thousands of people's lives on the line, you get it. She is physically there. As you whip around, you can see that there is a noticeable indent in the mattress and the blankets where she's sitting down. That shadowy robed head tilts a little further to the side. And the lightning bolt where their mouth should be widens into a grin. Oh yes, big triumphant hero. Has it crossed your mind that perhaps I'm here to help? Well, I assumed you weren't here just to watch me undress, but sometimes your help is less... How do I put this nicely? Helpful than you say you want to be. Oh, you're still mad about that thing where I killed you, huh? Yeah, a little. Kiva stands up from where she's been sitting on the bed, walks over to you and then leans down and starts helping you buckle up your breastplate where you've been struggling to reach. These pale, iridescent hands with nails that look almost like talons emerge out from under her robe and flicker over the buckles. And right next to your ear, you hear her laugh. <laughs> Well, something, something, I work in mysterious ways, something, something, there's a grand plan in all of this, but I'll tell you something, Ferrara. I'm in the business of knowing when people's time to die is. All these people in this city right now, it's not their time. You want to stop this whole disaster from happening, I'll ask you the same question you asked me. Why? 
because most of these people don't deserve to die. And they definitely don't deserve to die for a lie cooked up to justify the revenge of a despot. And because if I don't save them, who will? Kiva finishes buckling you into your armor and brings one of those shimmering hands up to press against your cheek. She leans down over this drastic height difference between the two of you. And although there is nothing within their hood but shadows and sparking electricity, you feel a cold pair of lips press against your forehead. That's a brave sentiment for you to have. And perhaps, at the end of all things, that's what bravery really is. Staring down darkness and daring to be the one that holds the light. Go save these people, Ferora. You have my blessing. And Fee, you just got another paladin level. <laughs> I get my subclass now. Yes, you do. What are you doing with it? I'm picking Oath of the Ancients. I have channel divinities now. The ones I get are Nature's Wrath and Turn the Faithless, but I can only do one per day. And my paladin spells that I have always prepared right now are Ensnaring Strike and Speak with Animals. Fantastic. So you feel this boost to your power, you feel magical energy stretching across your skin like static electricity. And what are you doing next? Fee's gonna heft her shield, nod. Uh, remind me, do I have a sword? Yes, you have Leo's old longsword. He gave it to you back in Oskaya because he no longer has the strength modifier to use it anymore. It is this beautifully crafted, like, Damascus steel, almost, longsword with an intricately crafted pommel that has a 3D representation of the royal seal of Australia at the end of it, just this crowned skull. It's gorgeous. And you do have it. I'm gonna slot that in the old belt, and I'm gonna head downstairs. You run into Leo and Lark in the hallway as you go to go down the stairs. Leo has changed out of his formal wear and into the more appropriate kind of rogue's armor that he picked up while you were in the Zephyr Isles. He's got his cutlass on one hip and Kimrel's blade on the other. Lark is also in armor, which is interesting to see as they are no longer wearing their typical fare of sundresses and goth boots. Well, they still have the goth boots, because they need the heelys of speed if you guys get into a pinch, but they're in this sleek, fitted, ink-black leather armor. There's a crossbow on their back, and at their hip, they have this little box kind of hanging off their belt. And as they start down the stairs, you see them take their deck of tarot cards that you've seen them fussing with before and tuck it in close it with a snap. As the three of you reach the bottom of the stairs, Adra in this magnificent artificed armor is kind of just hovering next to the door. 
and you see your Aunt Nora leading everybody else out from the sitting room. Okay, so we have a plan in place. Sabine, Captain, you two are rerouting evacuation efforts and getting everybody into the city to the highest level possible in all of the skyscrapers. Verity, Talindra, the two of you are headed out to the edges of the city to potentially try to quell any magma activity that we might run into. Kalesa, Eleonora, Arave, you are all getting out there and getting the word out for people to get to high ground. And Zed, Lorelai, Aaron, the three of you are holding down the fort here in case Moreland tries something shifty. Everybody understand what they're doing? Everybody nods. You see that Zed and Lorelai both look very perturbed with the roles that they have been assigned, but they accept them. Your Aunt Nora sweeps over, gives Lark a kiss on the cheek, you a kiss on the cheek, Leo a kiss on the cheek, and then kind of awkwardly kisses the front of Adris' helmet. Be safe. We will try. You see Leo kind of take a couple steps off to the side, press his forehead up against Zed, and mutter something to him that you don't hear. And in the meantime, the captain and Sabine both close in on you. The captain reaches down and grabs one of your hands and kind of gives you this half-hearted, sad smile. Give him hell, lass. <laughs> that I can do. You two, stay safe, please. Sabine reaches out like she's about to touch your face and then curls her hand into a fist and pulls it away. We will if you will. Fee's gonna kiss Sabine. Sabine kind of stumbles back at first. She was not expecting this. But then reaches both hands up, gets you on both sides of the face, and pulls you in, gives you this big, deep, heart-stopping kiss. Pulls back a little breathlessly. Nods at you. You come back to us. Like I said, I'll do my best. From the doorway, Adra goes, All the kissing is very sweet and whatever, but the city is actively getting ready to be flooded by lava, so can we, like, you know, go? She closes her eyes. Nods. Thank you, Adra. Let's go, yeah. And you, your brother, and your twin cousins book it out the front door, disappearing into the dark, lightless void that the city of Valder has become. Hey, Leo. What you are planning to do is highly illegal, if well-intentioned. So I'm going to go ahead and ask everybody to roll a group stealth check, first of all. Oh, man, my back hurts. Huh? You know, from my plus 13 to stealth carrying this whole party on my shoulders. 32. Actually, it's a 34. Go ahead and take a rogue level. Ooh. Thank you. Ooh, that means I get an ability score improvement. So I'm going to go ahead and max my whiz out now. Good choice. 
Okay, Adra has a plus three, Fee has a plus three, and Lark has a plus five. Let's go, girlies. Well, Lark got a natural one, so that's a six. Fee got a seven, and Adra got a dirty 20. Okay, so averaged out, that's a 17. That will do it. So you all make your way through the city, kind of ducking around crowds either trying to get out or being ushered towards the skyscrapers and roll me survival please with advantage because everybody is assisting 24 dice are hot today all right (laughs) with a 24 you manage to find one of the access tunnels to get down to the mechanism that turns the wheel so as you come up to this very meticulously labeled access door. Adra goes for the handle, jiggles it, and says, Yeah, it's locked. I don't know why I thought it wouldn't be locked. And Fee, from behind you, cracks her knuckles and says, All right, everybody out of the way. Leo doesn't move. Don't waste your magic. I've got lockpicks and we don't know what's down there. That shatter spell could be better used here in a couple minutes. Fee deflates a little bit. Yeah, that's a good point. Fine. Uh, Roll me a lockpicking check. With my sexy, sexy new plus 15, because I also have expertise in thieves tools. So that was a 9, but it's still a 24. Can't fucking stand you. All right. (laughs) Lateral Valsine is a broken character. You manage to get through the security access door. All of you move down through this access tunnel. As you're moving, you see weird, like, scratches in the metal of the walls. You see, like, dents. And as you move forward a little bit more, you see a body on the floor. Just a little gnomish dude in an engineer's uniform with his throat slit. Leo grimaces. I think he's taking point just because he has the best perception out of anybody here, passive or otherwise. (sighs) All right, well, it looks like whoever's down here has beat us by quite a bit. I would like to specify I did take Dexter with me when we left the house, so he's tagging along. Okay. Yeah, Dexter kind of sniffs at this dead dude, nuzzles at one of his shoulders. With his little nose. If you wanted to roll investigation perception something, you could maybe find out a little bit more about the people you're about to face from this corpse. Well, I'm proficient in investigation, but I'm also proficient in perception and my bonus is higher. And also, I don't really want to see more ghost soaring tonight, so I'm going to go ahead and choose perception. 17. Okay, with a 17, you are able to ascertain that the weapon that killed this guy was poisoned. You see, like, inky, dark veins creeping up from the slash in his throat. Shit. (sighs) Poisoned weapons, alright, that's nothing any of us is going to be able to deal well with. Everybody, come here. Thank God I had this prepared for the party, because Leo has long since been paranoid for good reason about taking drinks from people he doesn't know well, but I cast Protection from Poison on Fee, Lark, and Adra in quick succession. 
So what that means is they roll with advantage on saving throws against being poison. Since they're all Australian, that means they're going to roll flat. And also they are all resistant to poison damage, which means they're just going to take straight damage instead of double damage. I'm going to roll perception for Fee to see that you did not cast that spell on yourself. Can I roll deception to pretend that I did? Roll with disadvantage. Well, I rolled a six and a four. So uh, with deception modifier and disadvantage, that's a six. Fee rolled a six, but it's a 13 because of her cape. She's going to grab your arm and stop you and say, unless there's something you've neglected to tell me, you're also going to want protection from those weapons. Right? Yeah, it'd be nice, but I can take a couple more licks than you can, and I don't want to waste all of my offensive magic. You're also the strongest healer here. We need you up. Shit, fine. And Leo's gonna smack himself in the chest and cast protection from poison. I have to use a third level slot for that, though, because I'm out of second level, which means because of animate dead for Dexter, I only have one third level slot left. Sure does. This is gonna be good. You all continue down the service tunnel. You see more evidence of conflict. You see a couple more corpses. As you're walking, the access tunnel you're in starts joining up with a bunch of others into a larger access tunnel that is steering you down and in. And it is getting hotter as you move down this tunnel. It is almost unbearably hot. Like, you don't want to keep your bare hand on the wall for too long kind of hot. Um, I'm passive perception checking ahead of us to see if I hear anything. My passive is 20. As you keep going, you start to hear sounds of conflict, and you hear a beastly, otherworldly As you step to the end of this tunnel, and you see the caldera of the volcano opening in front of you. As you walk in, you see an access bridge right in front of you, leading to a giant column of gleaming metal. With a little blink, blink, blinking light on the side of it. This bridge has been partially melted about halfway through. It is impassable. You would not be able to jump the gap. Adra makes kind of an upset noise and then points at the light and then points at herself. Leo has a message cantrip. He's going to point at her and telepathically say, All right, tell me what we're dealing with. She sends you a message back that says, I need to get there to start the wheel turning again. I can cast a fly spell, but that'll leave me exposed. My armor can't naturally hover over a gap. I can't hover when there's nothing to hover over. Is there any other way for us to get around this big area and get to the column in a different way that wouldn't require her to fly? I'm so glad you asked. As you're looking around, you see this maintenance tunnel lets off onto this big catwalk 
that goes in kind of a crescent around this caldera. And you see further down on it, another little metal bridge. Standing on it are two Asturian soldiers. It leads to a big gear that's part of a a smaller mechanism that has gone completely still. You see further down on this mechanism, about 20-ish feet below where this bridge is, next to the column, there are several more Asherian military operatives fighting a fire elemental. And beneath them, you see the veritable ocean of lava in this caldera. And you see that it is steadily rising. Cool, cool. A lot of moving parts in this situation. These people sound busy. Have they seen us yet? Roll me a stealth check. 32. Well, mechanically, none of these people can roll high enough to see you, so no. Let me roll their perception just for shits and giggles. 18 and a 20 for the cats on the bridge. Cool. The guys on the bottom gear get... (laughs) Uh, The highest one was a 10. They're distracted. And the fire elemental rolls... Big fat 12. Cool. So I'm going to roll stealth also for Fee, Lark, and Adra. Uh, Lark got a 16. Adra got a 15. And Fee rolled a nat 20, so that's a 23. Okay, I am going to motion Fee directly after me. Lead everybody else around this catwalk to this other bridge. Motion for Adra and Lark to hang back. And then I'm going to run in and take a surprise round. I will let you and only you make a surprise attack since you got so far above everybody's perception and Fee rolled that nat 20 to back you up. Okay, pulling up our battle map now. I am running directly into the middle of these two guys guarding the bridge. I am going to roll to stab the first one with Kimrel's blade. Just a straight melee attack, no magic. All right, Leo, come on, buddy. Yes! 28. So that hits. I'm going to roll the damage from Kimrel's blade first, but then I have a lot more shit that I'm going to do. So that's eight damage just from the stab on Kimrel's blade, but because this first guy was surprised, I get to deal my sneak attack damage. An additional six. So that's 14 And then I have this fun new feature from Phantom Rogue called Whales from the Grave that says, and I quote, Immediately after you deal your sneak attack damage to a creature on your turn, you can target a second creature that you can see within 30 feet of the first creature, and it takes one half of your sneak attack damage, so 1d6 at this level. You can use this feature a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. So I'm going to expend a usage of that and roll 1d6 on the other person on the bridge. And he takes three damage. Leo runs in between these two people. You stab this first guy with Kimmel's blade, you do your sneak attack damage, and then there is a shimmering, mostly transparent spectral copy of Kimmel's blade whirling in the air 
as the second guy turns to look at you, it spins and sinks into his back. It's much like what you've seen before, like both back in Pearlport with the uh, ghouls that you got and when you stabbed your father with Kimmel's Blade. Anything else you'd like to do on your turn? Why, yes, I love being a rogue. I'm dual wielding. I'm going to stab the first guy with my cutlass. 27. So that'll hit, but because I'm dual wielding, I don't get to add my dex modifier to this attack. So that's four damage. But I have this thing with my cleric levels called Divine Strike, where once per turn, I can add an extra D8 to any melee attack. And that's an eight. So that's another 12 damage. So on that surprise round, it's a total of 26 damage to the first guy and three to the second. All right. And now we're going to roll initiative. So I'm going to be controlling Fee, Lark, and Adra. Uh, So Fee got a 24, Adra got an 11, and Lark got a 7. And I will be controlling Leo and all of our adversaries. Oh, bestie. Leo got a 13. Our assassin friends down on the bottom gear roll as a group. They got a 14. The fire elemental got an 18. And the two guys on the bridge roll as a group. And they got a 9. So starting out our initiative, Fee, what would you like to do? Okay, so... These guys are on opposite edges of this bridge over this, like, huge lake of boiling lava, right? Yeah, there's one on either side of Leo. He's right in the middle of them, and they have been standing guard on both sides of this bridge. There's, like, a small handrail. Okay. I would like to use telekinesis and pick up the less injured guy and just toss him. (laughs) Yeet! Okay, um, well, I believe that's a strength check contested by a spellcasting ability check for you, so go ahead and roll that. Sure thing. 19. Okay, let me roll this strength check. Nine! (laughs) So, let me paint you a picture. Here's what happens. You watch Leo, like a shadow, go almost completely imperceptible against the wall of this catwalk as you move along, dart down the bridge, stab both of these guys with both his physical and spectral weapons before they even have time to react. And as this second, less injured guy turns around in shock, you step onto the bridge, backing your brother... And just lift him, Darth Vader style, with a telekinesis spell, and yoink, he's off the bridge, falling screaming into the lava below. That's an insta-kill, he's dead. (laughs) Yeehaw. Leo turns around, knife in hand, wild-eyed, looks at you and goes, nice! And then... I want to save my sorcery points just in case, so that's my whole turn. And now it is the fire elemental, which does not seem too concerned with your folks up there on this upper gear. It is still engaged with these three Australian covert operatives that are down on this lower gear with it. 
It's going to fly up in between two of them and make a multi-attack. So first one is going to hit. Second one on the other one is also going to hit. So each of these guys are going to take 2d6 plus 3 fire damage. First one takes 10. Second one takes 12. And they are both on fire now. So unless they burn an action to put the fire out on themselves, they're going to be taking extra fire damage at the beginning of their turns. And now it is our rogue friends that are all down there with this fire elemental. The first one is going to burn his turn to put out the fire that is now licking up his body, but he does still take 1d10 fire damage. 10. And then the second one is going to do the same thing. He's going to stop, drop, and roll after taking 1d10 fire damage. 4. And then the third one, who, after watching his friends get set on fire, is not going to move any closer to the fire elemental, pulls out a crossbow and shoots at it. That doesn't hit. Crossbow bolt goes wide. And then we're down to Leo, who's going to roll to hit the remaining soldier that Fee did not just throw off this bridge into the lava pit with a first level inflict wounds. 18, that's going to hit. He's going to use his once daily feature from Kimrel's Blade to do max damage on a necromancy spell. So that's an automatic 30 damage, and I'm going to invoke that D8 of damage from Divine Strike as well. Which is a six, which is definitely enough to kill this dude. He stabs this dude, shoves him backwards off of his knife, and he goes toppling over the railing down into the lava below. And then Leo whips over his shoulder, points at Adra, and goes, You! Get that control panel! Now! Go! And now we are down to Adra. What is she doing? Adra makes an uncertain kind of noise, and then... Her armor hovers forward 30 feet to be just in front of you, Leo. She raises one arm and pushes a button on it with her other hand. And then this little, like, dome-looking bump on her armor pops off, flies out in front of her, and then writes itself into a little flying beetle-looking drone holding something. And it zooms over to be in the middle of this combat with all these assassins and this fire elemental. Just barely. You hear it go, beep, 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 beep. And then there's a, Essentially, this little beetle-looking drone has dropped a flash grenade in the middle of all these combatants, and it has cast Hypnotic Pattern. There is a, concussive blast of sound there is a bright light there is a plume of colorful smoke and i'm going to need the assassins to all make wisdom saves with advantage and the fire elemental to just make a straight save okay all of these combatants get a big fat plus zero to whiz saves and adra's save dc is an 18 So, assassin number one, 15. Assassin number two, 11, another failure. Assassin number three, 11, a third failure. 
and the elemental 15 failure. So because all of the other allied creatures of these Australian operatives are now dead, Adra just bought all of you 10 turns worth of your combatants doing nothing so long as you do not touch them or hurt them. So 10 turns including ours. So just in the initiative, 10 people's turns. Correct. Okay. Then, yeah, that's Adra's turn. And then we're down to Lark. Uh, They are going to run up on Adra, reach into their tarot deck, and pull the Hierophant as they cast Guidance on their sister. And then they're going to whip around to Fee and say, you know, throwing that guy off the bridge was really cool, and give her Bardic Inspiration. And then we're back up at the top of our order with Fee. Fee is going to dart up so she's next to Adra. Uh, yell to Lark and Leo, uh, sorry about this. And then she's going to grab Adra and she's going to thunderstep. Okay, so Lark and Leo are both going to roll con saves. Go ahead and roll for Lark for me, please. 14. And Leo got a 10. So they're both taking 3d10 thunder damage. Go ahead and roll that. I'm going to use Empowered Spell to re-roll this one lower. I'm going to leave it there. It's four damage. Okay, you Thunderstep, you and Adra teleport down to the very edge of the middle of these three horizontal gears. You are directly overlooking the space where all of the assassins and the fire elemental are still held in the grip of this hypnotic pattern spell. Behind you, you hear Leo and Lark yell in unison, Really? All three assassins and the fire elemental are still incapacitated, so they are just waiting out their turns because they can't do anything else. And then we are down to Leo. Leo watches Fee and Adra disappear from in front of him, doing a small amount of thunder damage, but still some thunder damage to him and immediately takes off after them. He is going to dash as an action and then use his bonus action as part of his rogue features to do another dash. So he gets a total of 90 feet of movement. He's going to move up to the edge of this first gear and then make an acrobatics check to jump down onto the gear where Fee and Adra are currently standing. 13. It was a DC 10. That just makes it. So Leo just almost died. (sighs) Fee, from where you're standing, you watch him take a running leap off this top gear, land on the edge of the one beneath him, and kind of sway backwards for a second before he writes himself, looks down at the lava below him, and goes, Fuck. Fuck. And he used every possible action he could use for that turn, so that's it for him. And now we're down to Adra. What's Adra doing? Adra is casting Fly on herself. She kind of clicks her heels together in the armor, and the lights, the kind of repulsors under her feet, glow a little brighter. She hovers a little higher. And then she is going to, Superman style, just fly over to the pipe. She can get 60 feet, which puts her on the edge of the pipe, but not to the control panel. 
And that's her turn, so we're down to Lark. Lark is going to use their action to dash. Uh, They're going to run across this bridge over the first gear and onto one of the vertical gears between the first and the second one. And clinging onto this gear, balancing, they yell down to Leo, Nice landing! And Leo is also going to get Bardic Inspiration. And underneath all of you, the lava this round has risen five feet. It is now 15 feet below the bottom surface of the lowest gear that our combat is taking place on. And with that chilling revelation, we are back up at the top of our order with Fee. So Fee's going to burn two sorcery points to cast True Strike on the fire elemental. And then she's going to whip around and she's going to cast Haste on Leo. Okay, fun. What does Haste do? I'm so glad you asked. For one minute, aka ten turns, your speed is doubled, you gain a plus two bonus to AC, and you have advantage on dexterity saving throws. And you get an additional action on each of your turns, which you can use to attack, dash, disengage, hide, or use an object. Okay, so true. I will say, though, unfortunately, when the spell ends, you will lose a turn. But... That is fine, because given that buff, Leo can absolutely wreck shop. And with that, the last turn of Adra's hypnotic pattern spell wears off, and the fire elemental and all three of these assassins awaken from their magic-induced stupor. I am going to roll a luck check to see who this fire elemental goes for. You want me to roll below a 10. That was a 13. This fire elemental rears back from being stunned for all these turns, whips back around to look up at you and Leo standing on the next gear, roars, and then launches away from the two assassins it is currently engaged with. It's going to take an opportunity attack from one of them, which does not hit. This elemental lunges forward, and then its flaming incorporeal body condenses and slides into the intertwining spaces between the vertical and horizontal gears, standing between it and you. You see this zigzagging line of fire shoot up around the circle and then condense into a massive fiery cloud next to Yuffie as this creature rebuilds itself perfectly within striking range of you. And it is going to make two attacks on you. The first one is a 20 exactly, meets it, beats it. The second one is a 21. So you are going to take a total of 4d6 plus 6 fire damage. Oh my god. So that's 22 fire damage. And also you are now on fire. And at the beginning of your next turn, you're going to take a d10 of fire damage. And you're going to keep doing that on the beginning of each of your turns until you take an action to stop, drop, and roll, essentially. 
And then we are down to the assassins, two of whom are going to be making crossbow attacks on you, and one of whom is going to be making a crossbow attack on Leo. The fire elemental has left them alone. They don't want it to come back. So first one shoots at you. Hits. Second one shoots at you. Natural one. Misses. So you take seven more piercing damage. And then the one that shoots at Leo misses. Leo, under the effects of this haste spell that you have just casted on him, almost blurs out of the way with how fast he moves. He darts his head to the side just in time for this arrow to go whizzing past it. And now it is Leo's turn. So he has plus two to AC, doubled speed, and an extra action on this round. To begin his turn, he is going to take one of his actions to cast Banishment on the Fire Elemental. Our Elemental friend has negative two to Charisma, so it's going to have to roll a nat 20 to save against this spell. Which it does not. So it's going back to the Elemental Plane of Fire for the next minute. Fee, you are staring down this Fire Elemental. You are still on fire, by the way and it disappears in front of you with a pop as Leo points his knife at it from behind and then just takes off running. He turns into the Flash. You can barely even see him as he just sprints across this gear. He's going to have to make an athletics check to get down off the gear onto the one below. That's an eight, but he has bardic inspiration from Lark, so... That was a nine on the die, so he's fine. He's good. (laughs) Leo just keeps almost taking a lava bath today. I don't know how to explain it. He's going to use the remainder of his movement to get up on one of the assassins and his second action to roll an attack with Kimrel's blade. 23, that's going to hit. Six damage plus five is 11. And for my bonus action, I'm also going to stab at this guy with my cutlass. 25. Don't get to add my dex to this damage roll, but two more damage. And that will do it for Leo's turn. We are down to Adra. What is she doing? Adra is scooting her merry little self around this pipe to the control panel. And she's going to try and make a tinker check to turn the wheel back on. I will tell you that the tinker check DC for this control panel does scale the first try. It is a DC 30. She gets a plus 10 to tinker check rolls. She has to roll a nat 20. All right. Nat 20, baby. Come on. Natural 18. So close. Ah. Yeah, and the the fucking guidance ran out, so she can't... Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Adra starts fussing with this control panel, and it is sparking and spitting little pieces of molten metal into her face. She cannot get it operational. She almost gets it. She's gonna yell to her sibling and her cousins, I... I need more time! And then it's Lark's turn. Okay, Lark's gonna use... 15 feet of their movement to try to move further up on this vertical gear 
so that if they beef this check, they will fall onto the gear and not into the lava. Okay, so that's going to be a DC 10 check. You can choose athletics or acrobatics. I'm going to choose acrobatics because they get a plus five. That was a natural one. I'm going to use a luck point. That's an 11. That is just barely going to do it. Okay, they land on this gear, stumbling a little, albeit, but they are up and they have 15 more feet of movement. Lark does not have enough movement to get up on Fee, so they are going to cast a healing word at 5th level, which is 5d4 plus 5. So Fee gets back 19 hit points, which puts her at 78, which is almost back up to full. Thank fuck. And then as their action, Lark is going to cast Guidance on themselves because holy shit, that was close. (laughs) As they do that, below all of you, you see the lava rise a bit closer to the bottom of this lowermost gear. It is now within 10 feet of the gear. And we are back at the top of our order with Fee. So at the start of your turn, because you are still on fire, even though the elemental is gone, you'll be taking 1d10 fire damage. Six. Okay. I'm going to use my action to put myself out, and then I'm going to use Quicken Spell. I'm going to move up to the edge of the gear, and then I'm going to drop a fifth level Witch Bolt on the most hurt of these assassins. Natural 19 plus 11. It's a 30. Yeah, absolutely. Roll that damage for me. Uh, I'm going to use an empowered spell. That's going to be 48 damage. Youch! So this guy's looking bad, like to the tune of 10 hit points bad. And then I'm going to try to jump down onto the lower gear. You don't have to try, actually. You have something called Tempestuous Magic baked into your Storm Sorcerer stat block that allows you to fly 10 feet anytime you cast a spell. As you go to try to clamber down this gear and make a jump off onto the lower one, you feel trickles of cold, tingling, static electricity shooting down your back along the lines of those Lichtenberg figure scars that look almost like wings stretched down either side of your spine. And as you go to leap off the gear, a pair of crackling electric wings spring up from your back in the exact shape and pattern of your scars and you just effortlessly glide down the 10 feet onto this lower gear. Almost as quickly as they appeared, they are gone, but that sure was a thing, and you look up from where Leo is midway through trying to stab somebody, and his jaw just drops. (laughs) Well, that's new. And it would be the fire elemental's turn, but it's currently chilling back on its home plane for the time being. Which brings us down to assassin number one. So he's going to make two short sword attacks on Leo, and both of them are going to be with advantage because his buddy is flanking. 
First one. Not gonna hit. Second one. Come on, Leo. I'm calling on you for a badass moment. Come on, man. Oh, man, just barely. Even with his AC of 18? Because he has haste on him. Holy shit. (laughs) Oh, my God. For the folks at home, I cannot understate the amount of poison damage that Leo just literally fucking dodged. This dude comes at him with a dagger glistening with lime green poison wiped around the blade, and Leo, with his upped speed, just matrixes out of the way of both swipes. So true! But then, unfortunately, it is assassin number two's turn, and assassin number two is also going to run up on Leo and has a double flank, which he still only gets just one advantage on that. But he is going to roll two attacks with advantage. First one. Just barely going to hit his up AC. Second one. Not going to hit. So because he is flanked on all sides but one, um... Leo's pretty fucked right now. I'm gonna go ahead and roll just the damage that the short sword does to him. That is six damage from the short sword alone. The assassin, because Leo is triple flanked, gets 4d6 sneak attack. 14 additional. And then Leo is going to have to roll a dc15 constitution save. Okay, buddy, you've been real lucky tonight so far. Come on. A seven. So Leo is now going to take an additional 7d6 poison damage. It would have been 14d6 if he were not operating under the effects of a protection from poison spell. So not as bad as it could have been. Still pretty fucking bad. And an additional 25 poison damage from this blade. So a total of 45 damage in one hit for Leo. So Leo's down to half of his max HP. He takes this poisoned knife to the side with a sizzle of burning flesh and a scream of pain. And now he has to make a DC 22 concentration saving throw to maintain concentration on that banishment spell. He does have the Warcaster feat, so he will get advantage on this, but he is still going to have to roll pretty damn high. (sighs) Come on. Come on. Nat 20! Nat 20! Nat 20! Fuck yes! (laughs) Fuck yes! That fire elemental is staying the fuck put. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> this is the coolest sequence of shit that Leo has ever done on this show. Let's see if he can keep it up through one more round of attacks from the third assassin, who just watched him banish the fire elemental, hold up concentration on that spell despite getting stabbed in the side with a poisoned weapon and is definitely perceiving him as the biggest threat on the battlefield right now. 
So he's triple flanked, still two more attacks with advantage. First one. Hits. Second one. Does not hit. So, first one, damage from the short sword. Five. Sneak attack damage. Eight. And then Leo's gonna roll another DC 15 constitution saving throw. Another nat 20! Yeah! Are you fucking (laughs) kidding me? (laughs) So he's only gonna take half of this 76 poison damage because of protection from poison, blah blah blah. Oh god, that's good because that was a lot. So halved, that poison damage is 12, which leads Leo up to a total of 25 damage, which means he has to roll a DC 12 constitution saving throw with advantage because of Warcaster to maintain concentration on the banishment spell. Nat 20 again! Third nat 20! (laughs) I'm not even shitting you! Look at my dice box! Look at my dice box right now! (laughs) Oh no! (laughs) What is going on? (laughs) Leo is bloody as shit. He has 39 hit points out of a max of 113. But he is fucking digging his heels in, maintaining concentration on this spell. And then it is Leo's turn. This is the last turn he has with haste still active. He's not going to use that double movement. He's going to stay exactly where he is. Al, when I die here in a couple rounds, I want you to remind me how I should have healed myself. Buddy, you didn't need to request that. I was going to. But that's not what I'm going to do. Instead, Leo is using his first action to drop a fourth level spirit guardians in a 15 foot radius around him, which is going to get all three of the assassins. Within the wording of the spell, it says that I can designate any creatures that I want to be unaffected by it. So this is not going to get fee. It's just going to get the assassins. They are all going to have to roll a DC 18 wisdom save. So first one, 19 makes it. Second one, two does not make it. Third one, 12 does not make it. So the first one is taking half of this 4d8 necrotic damage as horrible little skeleton angels start flitting around Leo and just biting people. Ew! (laughs) I'm a death cleric, baby. What did you expect? Hey, buddy! Okay. So half of 27 is still enough to take this one guy that saved completely out. He's dead. My horrible little minions just destroy him. And the other two are still up, but they are not doing well. 
And after that unfucking believable sequence of events, it is now Adra's turn. The DC on her tinker check has gone down. It is now a DC 25. Okay, Adra, roll a 15. Come on, baby. Oh my god. And she has nothing? There's nothing that can help her? Uh-uh. Shut up! Adra rolled a 24. I have never felt worse about saying something as a DM ever in my life. But Adra keeps chipping away at this mechanism. It keeps spitting sparks into the front of her helmet. And she can't get it going. She's almost there. There's a point where you actually hear the mechanism of the great wheel that Valder sits upon start to whir and grind. And then there's a massive clunk and a bloom of smoke just blows out of this panel into Adra's face. She was almost there, but she doesn't get it. Adra curses colorfully, and that is her turn. Oh, man. Okay, yeah, it's Lark's turn. Lark sees Adra fail this tinker check, but they are not close enough to give her bardic inspiration, and they're not going to jump down onto this lower wheel because the lava is getting so close to it, but they are close enough to cast a 7th level healing word on Leo. Thank you, I hurt so bad. So Leo's going to get back 7d4 plus 5 hit points. Lark whips the Two of Cups out of their tarot deck and flashes it at you. And you get back, you know, 23 hit points is not bad for healing word. Listen, it gets me over 50 hit points. I don't care. Leo leans forward, braces his hands on both knees for a second, spits out a mouthful of blood, and then gives Lark a big thumbs up. They give you a thumbs up back and then yell, Adra, how's it going? And you hear Adra from over at the control panel yell back, Stop rushing me! Leo looks over the edge of this gear and then turns his head back up towards Adra. Um, not trying to rush you, but uh, I, I think the environment's doing that for us. And beneath your feet, the lava rises another five feet up towards the bottom of this gear. It is now within five feet of the bottom of the gear. So everybody on this lower gear, because they are within five feet of the lava, is going to take ten fire damage for every turn they start within this distance. Okay, so Fee's going to take that ten fire damage from being on the gear. Just so everybody knows, for posterity, it has now been a minute since Leo banished the fire elemental, which means it cannot come back because it's native to the plane that it was banished to. So Fee's gonna go ahead and uh, use two sorcery points for Quicken Spell to cast Thunderstep. She's gonna grab Leo so they can both Thunderstep back onto the other gear next to Lark. And then as I uh, move forward to grab Leo, that puts both of these assassins within 10 feet of me. So they're gonna make con saves against the Thunderstep. Which I'm just casting at baseline third level. So make those con saves for me, please. First one doesn't make it. Second one does make it. 
So the first one takes that full 3d10 damage, second one takes half of it. Ah, uh, I'm low on sorcery points. Uh, no, it's it's an 18. Um, And then they're going to take another 5 because they're both within 10 feet of me. So 23 total. And then 11 for the guy that saved. And then as we land, I'm going to lay on hands Leo for 15 points. Thank you. Thank you. I hurt so bad. Okay. And both of these assassins on the lower gear, because they were not thunderstepped out, are going to take their 10 fire damage from the proximity of the lava at the start of their turn. So the first one is going to run towards this vertical gear with all of the vigor that his two remaining hit points allow and try to acrobatics check his way up. He gets a plus six. He just has to roll a four. <laughs> How funny is this going to be if I roll in that one? <gasps> oh no! <laughs> I rolled in that one. This guy fights so hard for his life. He is running, flames licking at the sole of his boots, clawing his way up this gear. I think he actually makes it to the edge of the gear where you are, just clinging to the side. And then Leo walks over and it's like a Scar and Mufasa moment <laughs> where Leo just kind of puts one foot against his head and kind of boops him off and he just <laughs> falls down into the lava. <laughs> <laughs> um so the last remaining assassin is going to try to acrobatics check his way up onto the gear after watching his friend fall into the lava below that's a natural 19 plus 625 so he does make it up there and he's closest to lark so he's gonna make two short sword attacks on them first one Hits. Second one. Also hits. He doesn't get sneak attack for this one, though. So he's going to roll 2d6 plus 6 for the two attacks that hit just from the short sword damage. 15. And now Lark is going to have to roll 2d15 constitution saving throws. Uh, that's a 26 and, um, unfortunately a 13, so one of them does not make it. Okay, so they're gonna take this full 76 poison damage from the first hit. And then they're gonna take half of another 76 from the second hit that they saved against. So that's 23, which rounds down to 11 halved, but total, they're taking 54 damage this round. Lark clearly does not feel good, but unfortunately, because of the ending of that haste spell, Leo has to take a pass on this turn, so he can't do anything to help them. So now it's Adra's turn. Adra's gonna get this goddamn wheel spinning. She's gonna try to, it's a DC 20 now. Just roll a 10, Adra. Come on. It's all good. That was a 12, so it's a 22. Adra 
with renewed fervor, lunges elbow deep into this control panel, yanking at wires, going at it with a soldering iron that comes out of one gauntlet of her armor, just working as feverishly and as fast as she can. You hear that noise that you heard a couple seconds ago when the wheel almost started turning again, that grinding and grating, deep metallic noise that vibrates your lungs. But then this time, I'm going to need everybody that is currently standing on a gear, so Lark, Leo, Fee, and our assassin friend, to roll a DC 15 deck save to not fall prone. So go ahead and roll for Lark and Fee, please. Uh, that's two sixteens actually. Okay, they're both good. I'm going to roll for Leo. Leo also gets a 16, weirdly enough. And our assassin friend gets... A 7. So definitely eat shit. He gets up, stabs at Lark real good, and then this gear below his feet starts whirling again, and he just fully goes face first down onto it. As the great gear that Valdur sits upon starts turning again and this mechanism activates with it, you see the lava that has been literally licking and melting at the bottom of this lowermost gear beneath you start to recede as all of the different channels and tunnels that were meant to redirect it open again and start functioning. Leo, bracing himself in a posture kind of similar to what you've seen Zed do before, lurches on his feet, looks wildly around at all of you, and then down at the last remaining Australian assassin that has fully face-planted down onto the gear, and goes, All right, everybody, non-lethal damage. Me and a Zona Truth spell have a bone to pick with this guy. Lark doesn't have anything that can incapacitate this guy. So they're going to burn their 7th level spell slot on a Cure Wounds for themselves, because they don't feel good. Uh, so Lark gets 36 hit points back. Okay, and we're back at the top of the order with Fee. Fee's gonna cast Command. To this last remaining assassin, her voice reverberating with this magical energy, this undercurrent of almost thunder under it. She says, Stay there! Okay, I'm gonna roll a whiz save for this guy. That's a 13. Failure. Okay, yeah, he's staying put there until he can save out of it. That's Fee's turn. Okay, it is his turn before anybody else in your party, so he is gonna try to save out again. Natural four doesn't do it. And then it's Leo's turn. Leo walks past you up to where this dude is just laying on his face on the ground, spins Kimrel's blade around his finger cowboy style, snaps the fingers of his free hand, and drops his own truth in a very practiced motion. 
All right, let's fast forward through the introductions. I'm sure you already know who I am. Laryl Valsine, Grand Duke of Australia, blah, blah, blah. I assure you I am every bit the murderous hellspawn that people have told you I am. Let's cut to the chase. What did my father send you down here to do tonight? Fee, roll me a perception check. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, That's a natural 17 minus 1 is a 16. Should I try to get higher? I would advise you to try to hit an 18. Okay. Uh, I'm going to use one of my rerolls. That's a 9. I'm going to use a second one. No, that's not going to do it. I'm going to use my last reroll. No, the highest one's a 16. With a 16, you can anticipate what happens next, but not quickly enough to stop it. As Leo walks over to this guy where he's laying prone, face down on the ground, kind of kicks him over, braces a foot against his chest, and starts interrogating him. He slowly reaches up with one hand and scrapes his fingers against the inside of his wrist under a leather bracer. And then, faster than you can process, faster than you can warn Leo, who is probably the closest person that can do anything about it, he slaps that hand over his mouth. This guy looks up at you from the ground. A delicate glass capsule between his teeth crunches down on it. and dies foaming at the mouth within 10 seconds. Fuck. This gear that you're standing on is still rotating slowly under your feet, and all of you hovering over this last dead body of the Australian sabotage party are spinning around and around. Leo sucks his teeth, takes a couple steps back. (sighs) Probably a bad time to mention that I didn't prep a revivify spell today, huh? And that's where we're going to end for this week. Shit, goddammit. Okay, yeah. So, um... The way things played out here tonight will have consequences, for sure. We'll see that next time. Uncompelled duel. Hey everybody, Barry here with the postscript, just clearing up a couple housekeeping things here at the end of the episode. 
As always, I'm going to plug our social medias. You can find us on Twitter, Tumblr, and TikTok at Compelled Duel. We have lots of other cool stuff like an official website, an official Spotify profile. You can find all of that linked on our various social media pages. If you're enjoying what you hear so far on the show, we ask that you consider supporting us by heading on over to patreon.com slash compelled duel and checking out our patron benefit perks. Starting at just $2 a month, you can get access to all kinds of cool stuff, including early access to episodes, access to exclusive playlists on our Spotify profile, and at the $5 per month tier, even a handwritten wax-sealed letter from your favorite character every month. If you're interested in supporting us in ways other than pledging to the Patreon, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, we ask that you consider leaving us a rating and a review, as that helps get the show promoted to a wider audience. And as always, word-of-mouth advertising is the most powerful tool we have in our arsenal. If you like what you're hearing on the show, we just ask that you tell a friend about it. And if they like it, ask them to tell a friend as well. We host a weekly Q&A show over on our YouTube channel where we answer questions about the latest episode and generally just have a good time. We'd love to see you show up for that. Just search us on YouTube. We should be the first profile that pops up. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss a Q&A or a series premiere or finale. And with all that being said, our next episode will be going live on Friday, January 14th, 2022. If you are a member of our Patreon, you'll be getting your early access to that on Thursday, January 13th. We will see you all next week. Looking forward to it.